Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. We've been talking, we've been talking about prayer. Uh, we've been having many conversations, multiple conversations about prayer. And I intend to continue those conversations today and until God tells me to stop. Because for whatever reason, so many of us still haven't committed to a lifestyle of prayer. I've heard it said, and I've said it to you a thousand times, that prayer is the nerve that moves the omnipotent hand of God. As we pray, God moves on our behalf. But we still don't do it. And so the question has to be why? And so I've tried to answer some of those questions, those, those why questions. I think probably we don't pray because we're uncomfortable, because we don't think we know how to pray right. You guys ever heard anybody say that? Well, I don't use the right words, or I, I don't sound like so-and-so sounds, and so I don't feel comfortable praying. God doesn't care about the length or the terminology of your prayer. He cares about the heart of your prayer. I've sat in my office floor and mumbled and bumbled and cried. And I'm certain God heard that prayer. And God knew what I needed. But not just that. But we also realize that sometimes we try to, or I have, script a prayer. And what I mean by this is, in my flesh, I'm all, I'm going to pray this. And I'm going to pray this. I got asked one day, uh, when I was at Cornerstone as a Sunday school teacher, we used to have a Sunday school teacher gathering, and they would always call a Sunday school teacher up to pray over the Sunday school classes before we all broke out into our individual classes. And I got called on a Saturday night one day, and the pastor that was over Christian education, Pastor Greg at that time, said, hey, would you pray tomorrow? I, was, I broke out in his hives, you know, because I, I was in front of all these other Sunday school pastors, I'm I'm the least of these, and I feel like that most any room that I'm in. But So I start scripting this prayer. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to pray like this. I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to say this. And then I get up there, and I'm like, hey. <sighs> you know why? Because I wasn't allowing the Spirit to lead my prayer. I thought in my intellect I could pray. And let me tell you, you're always going to struggle in your prayer life if you don't come to the understanding that your intellect doesn't matter. It's your spirit by which you pray. And so we don't pray for that reason. We, we, we don't pray because we don't understand, and I talked about this for two weeks, about intercession, the absolute need for intercession. There are times when God calls us to pray for each other. We are one body unified in Christ Jesus. And so we should be people who pray for one another, for our sanctification, for our unity, for the hope of the glory that we have, that we hold on and that we endure, that we finish the fight, that we finish the race. I see the struggles that you have. You see the struggles that I have. Can we join together and just pray in intercession for one another, pray in intercession for those who aren't here, those that we are praying might one day be here? And I don't mean here specifically, but belonging to the family of God but we don't understand the importance of it, so we don't do it. And then last week, we talked about 
in all of that, you have to have the right posture of prayer. You have to be humble, which messes me up because I'm not. I try real hard. But you can't receive anything if you don't realize and recognize that you're in need of something. If I'm hungry and you don't know I'm hungry, I'm just going to be hungry. But if I'm humble enough to tell someone that I'm hungry, then they'll feed me. You have a need for salvation. You have a need for joy. You have a need for an empowerment fresh and new of the Holy Spirit. You have a need for these things. Just be humble enough to believe God for them and trust in that prayer, walking in humility, confidently knowing that He answers prayer. Amen? All right. Just so you all know, you're the, long, you're the last service, so you all the long service. That got wound up in about 30 seconds in the other two services. So Anyway, y'all knew what you were getting when you walked in here. Most of you. Got a couple of visitors. I appreciate y'all being here, but I promise not to keep you till past 2 or 3 o'clock. I'm just kidding. We'll be done at least 1.30. Today I'm going to preach to you out of James or John chapter 14. So if you want to talk, turn there. I want to talk to you about it just a moment. Because the fact of the matter is, whatever the reason is we've pushed prayer to the corner of our churches. And there in the shadow it rests, waiting for us to pick it back up. And it's time that we do. Amen? John chapter 14, actually starting in 13, verse 31, through the end of chapter 17, is known as Jesus' final discourse. And what that means is, Jesus, in the upper room, took his disciples and started un unfolding his plan. What he was about to do, the fact he was about to go to the cross, that he's not going to be with them. And so he, it messed them up. Because up till this point, they still haven't got it right. They still have been work, working under this pretense that somehow Jesus was there to free them from the Romans and to make them free and to establish a state Israel. And that's not why Jesus was there. Jesus was there to call them to himself. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, is the first declaration that he made coming out of the desert. Amen? And so he does this. He starts talking about it, and people freak out. And rightfully so. I would freak out too. Everything all right? I would freak out too. Because Jesus was physically in their presence for three and a half years. Imagine having God incarnate to where you could physically touch him for three and a half years. Where if you had a question, you could physically ask him for three and a half years. If you needed to see a miracle or needed a miracle, you could physically ask him and receive that miracle. And then now Jesus says, I'm leaving? And they have some questions. And they ask these questions. The first one Thomas asked, he says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? This is verse 5 of chapter 14. So Thomas asked the first question. Jesus answers it. Philip asked the next question. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus answered that question. The fact of the matter is they were freaking out and had questions. How many of you guys have questions of God? 
Our questions are the same. They just look different here in the present. Our questions now sound like, Lord, where are you? Because that's what they're asking. Where are you going? You guys ever pray and be like, God, do you even hear me? Do you even know that I'm calling out to you? Where are you, Lord? And I think that's an okay prayer as long as it's based in faith that he will answer your prayer, that he is present for you, that he is omnipresent. But they're also asking, how can I get to you? How do I know where you're going? How do I get to you? We get to him right now by the power of the Holy Spirit in prayer. I need Jesus in my life just the same as those disciples had him physically in his life. And through prayer, I have exactly what they have. But because we can't see it, we struggle with it. And then finally, we ask this question, how do I know it's you? Finally get an answer. God, am I even sure this is you? Is you sure that's what I'm supposed to do? Sometimes because we don't like the answer we got or sometimes we're just not sure. But I will tell you, and it's the intent of this lesson to tell you how you can know he'll answer your prayer and how you'll know it's him. The sermon title today, if you're taking notes, is Praying It In. Y'all ever heard that, verb, that verbiage before? It's kind of a southern thing, I think. I've been in the south most of my life, but I used to go to a church of God of Prophecy with my grandmother. She dragged me there when I was a teenager. and They had some women in the church. Well, as a matter of fact, it was all women in the church. I praise God that the church has men in it. But there's, it was just a bunch, of like a cluck of old women. I mean, that's what it was. It was like seven of them. And they'd be all, Lord, we're going to pray it in. We're going to pray it in, Lord. We're going to pray it in, Lord. And we're going to They never said what they were praying in. Just that they're going to pray it in, Lord. And what they mean by that is we're going to keep praying until we see physical proof of that which we're praying for, which is okay. I don't have a problem with that. But we have to learn to pray it in but differently than they understood it. And I hope to explain that to you today with three principles from verse 11 through 14 of what our prayer should be prayed in. 11 through 14, read like this. Believe me that I am with the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly. Just so you know, anytime you see truly, truly, that's the same as your mama going, hey boy, listen up. He's emphasizing, pay attention. I'm about to tell you something important. Y'all freaking out, you're worrying about me leaving. Pay attention, I'm about to solve your problem. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Did you catch that? Ain't a lot of gray in that space. There's not a, do you think he might? He says, I will do it. Jesus wants to answer your prayer. Do you believe that? If you don't, I hope you believe it before the end of the day, because as we pray it in, we can trust that God will do it. So what are we praying in? We'll give you three points today from this text, first thing we're praying in is we're praying in Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. Take this for what it's It may bust some of y'all's theology up a little bit. But if you ain't in Jesus, you can pray all you want. The only prayer he's hearing from you is a prayer of repentance. You have no guarantee that God's going to hear your prayer 
to the point where, where he hears it, but not to where he's going to answer it unless you first pray a prayer of repentance. You can't live unrighteously having not declared Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and expect him to answer your prayer. The only prayer you're guaranteed, and I'm saying it again because it's important, because I have people come up to me that I know they, they, don't, they don't know Jesus, they don't care about knowing Jesus, but for some reason in their Southern tradition, they come up to me and say, Jim, will you pray for me? And the first thing I say, I'll pray a prayer of repentance for you or with you, and then we'll pray about whatever it is you need. But you have to be in Jesus first. Amen? Some of y'all look at me like I'm crazy. I can prove this to you in Scripture. Matter of fact, I'm going to. John 9.31 says this. It's pretty highfalutin words, so make sure you're paying attention. We know that God does not hear from sinners. Did y'all catch that? Right? It's really not highfalutin words. It's pretty plain. He doesn't hear from sinners except for a prayer of repentance. We have to be in Christ Jesus, which we are because of His grace alone and our faith to receive that which He has offered us. Not because we did it, but because He loves us enough to give it to us. This is the truth of Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. You know what I love about my salvation? I didn't do anything but submit to get it and stay submitted to stay righteous. Amen? God's good. He loves you. He wants you to be in Him. And if you've prayed that Romans 10, 9 prayer, believe it in your heart or confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, believe it in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, the Bible says you are saved. He didn't add a bunch of stuff to you. He just said believe and confess and you will be saved. Amen? That's good. But we are in Him, and so in Him we have to pray in Him because He redeemed us. He's the one who redeemed you. This is the part where people ask, I'm going to start preaching the gospel, just so you know, because it's all I got. People become so familiar with it, though, they let their familiarity breed complacency in them, and they just zone out. Check their little church box and go home and act like crazy, like they've been crazy all week. But let me tell you the work that Jesus Christ performed on your behalf. He redeemed you. You know what that means? That means he bought you back. You and your rebellion, both by sin, both by action and by birth, belong to the kingdom of darkness. Jesus Christ paid the debt that you owed because of rebellion, which is death. This is what the Bible says, that Jesus paid the debt you owed on the cross of Calvary. It was his flesh that got stripped from the bone. It was his hands, his feet that got pierced to the cross. It was his head that was pierced with a crown. It was his back that had placed and then ripped off a purple robe. It was him that bought you back by shedding his own blood so that you might be saved. Because the Bible says, no remission of sin, not partial remission of sin, but there is no remission of sin without what? Without the shedding of blood. Did you know if Jesus Christ hadn't done that for you, it would have been blood shed, but it would have been yours. And if you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it'll still be yours. And I know that's offensive. It should be. It's supposed to be. The cross is offensive. 
It's not inclusive. It's exclusive. But in its exclusivity, which means it separates people, it says you can't go. But because it's exclusive, if you'll just hear it, you become inclusive. That's why we have to tell people the truth, because we don't want them to be excluded. We want them to be included. I can't even think of anybody I hate bad enough that I'd want to go to hell. Because he redeemed me, and I am the worst of these. Who am I to think that he's not wanting to and willing to redeem someone else from the same darkness I came out of? The same darkness that you came out of. This is the work of Christ on our behalf. That's so good. Mm. Because we were slaves to sin, but now slaves to righteousness according to Romans chapter 6. Stop. Can I encourage you? I know I've been yelling at you. I want to encourage you. Stop condemning yourself over something God's released you from. How do you been in that cage too long? God unlocked that door. You, you sitting in a cage with the doors unlocked. You just got to push it open. Because not only did he redeem you, he justified you. Which means he erased your criminal history. God. You know, these two things don't have, to, don't have to operate together. But by the grace of God, they do. You know, he could have redeemed you. He could have bought you back. And you could go to heaven. But he could still hold your sin against you in heaven and not give you a place to live or make you live outside of heaven or treat you ugly for all of eternity, and you'd have that coming. But he determined to justify you too, to bring you into his house, to make you part of his family. He justified you. I don't think we understand quite what that means. It doesn't mean that I forgive sin and it's done. It means that it's forgotten. It doesn't exist anymore. That's why Paul says there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You've been justified. Some of you need to grab a hold of the mercy, the grace, the overflowing loving kindness of God and realize that that which He's forgiven you for is gone. You have That sin hasn't been covered in the blood. That sin has been washed, removed, and chiseled off of your heart by the blood. It doesn't exist anymore. Why can I have confidence in prayer? Because I belong to God. Because God, through Christ Jesus, justified me. God, through Christ Jesus, redeemed me. Not by a work of myself, but by His work. So that I couldn't brag. Don't you know it's in our human nature? If we could do it ourselves, we'd brag and be pretentious? Absolutely, we the Pharisees and scribes got accused of it all the time because they kept the law perfectly, but their heart was still jacked up. Anyway, I'm trying to build your confidence in prayer. Why can I, why can I know that, I can, that God answers my prayer? How can I know God answers my prayer? Because I'm in Him. I belong to Him. He loves me. But he doesn't just love me. He loves you. Matter of fact, I'll be honest with you. Can I be honest with you for a minute? It's easier for me to know that he's forgiven you than to think he's forgiven me. You know why? Because you pull back the curtain on my life, I know all the junk I keep stored behind this curtain over here. You don't. 
You sit up here, you think, man, Pastor Jim's got it together. I don't have it together, guys. I need the grace, mercy, love, and kindness of God just like you do. What I have learned, praise God, is that when he says he's forgiven me, it's gone. And I can set it down. And I don't have to pick it up. Walk in the freedom God gave you. Christ died to free you. Isn't that beautiful? That's why we shouldn't allow this, I'm going to say, gospel message, this familiar message to become familiar. It should amaze us. Our salvation is the greatest miracle in all of history. It's a miracle equal to or greater than creation itself. You know why? Because God spoke and out of nothing created everything. Where there was nothing, everything exists. He performed that same miracle in you. Where there was no righteousness, He created righteousness in you. Not by your work, but by His. Man, I want y'all to grab a hold of this. I just want you to just, just grab a hold of your Jesus and know your Jesus has a hold of you. And that we can trust that when we pray in Him, He hears us. Amen? Ah, that's so good. I could go on and on. Maybe should, I don't know. But I'm not going to. And we pray not just in Him, but in His name. Come on, somebody. He says this, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. To pray in his name is to acknowledge and remember that Christ is the only reason we have a right to stand before God. He is our access key to the throne room of God. It is by his work that the veil was torn so that we might be in the presence of the Shekinah glory of God, the manifest presence of God. The manifest presence of God lives in you. This should freak us out. We should be freaked out right now. So good. But because of Him, we have His name. And in His name, we have authority. This is what this Bible says. Did you know you've been given authority in the name of Jesus to pray and expect those prayers to be answered? Where you get messed up, where we get messed up, is we messed up and think that it's our authority. It ain't our authority. We borrowed it. It's delegated authority. When I worked at the sheriff's office, I, I had a badge. I was working out twice a day. I looked pretty good in my uniform back then. Had a badge, had a gun belt on, uniform full on. Walked with that cocky cop thing. You know how cocky cops do. And I could step out in this street and people would come to a screeching halt because I was standing in the street. You know why? Because of the authority my uniform represented. Do you know why I had that authority? Because the elected official of the county, the sheriff, trusted me enough to carry that authority. 
And so it wasn't my authority, which is why, even though I was the same person, if I took that uniform off, walked out in the street dressed like any of us today, I'd get run over or cussed or something because I wasn't operating in the delegated authority that I'd been given. So don't get consumed by the things that you're doing. Know that what you're doing is available to you because of Christ Jesus. You need something in prayer, ask God, but do it in the name of Christ Jesus because that's the house you belong to. The miraculous happens in the name of Jesus because of the authority that he gave you to pray. You just happen to be the conduit and the witness to it. Why would he even do it? Why would he give us all the, why would he give us the name of Jesus? The ability to be saved at all. The authority of his name. Well, the Bible happens to tell us right here. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Did you catch it? I can have confidence that God answers my prayer when I'm praying it in the name of Jesus because I know that his greatest concern isn't with my prayer request. That messes you up. That's all right. His greatest concern is being glorified in answering your prayer request. If I had an enemy, somebody that was just, I can't, like the worst of the worst, like mortal enemies, if you will. I hate to bring it all like movie style or something, but like we just combative and been combative for years, and every time we're around each other, we're at each other's throat, blah, 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 whatever that looks like. And I met them out one day, and instead of fighting them, I said, I love you. And if I have to die to show you how I love you and to extend you mercy, that's what I'm going to do. You know what's going to happen around this town? Somebody's going to say, man, that Jim Kubik, is a gracious guy. That is a merciful guy. That's why God saved you. Because you were his mortal enemy, according to the word of God, in divine rebellion to him and his will. But he extended mercy and grace to you so that we might say, yo, though I was a sinner, God extended mercy to me. Isn't he awesome? It's for his glory. We've been talking about gospel conversations and I know people think, man, you just say the same thing all the time. But let me tell you, if you're not pulling out of you what God put in you so that others can see it, he might as well have killed you when he put it in you because you're no good to him anyway. He allows us to exist after our salvation for the ministry of reconciliation. That's good. So that he might be glorified. So I can have confidence in my prayer when I pray in Jesus, which means by that I mean by belonging to Jesus, in his name, using his authority for the purpose of God's glory. Number two, these are short, so don't freak out. I always get the longest one out first just in case we run out of time. Not only do we have to pray in Jesus, we have to pray in his will. Let that simmer a minute. God is sovereign. Did you know that? God's going to do whatever God wants to do. For whatever reason, he's determined to bend his ear to us. 
to listen to us when we pray. But he wants us to pray his will. I can have confidence that he hears me when I pray his will. What he desires, when my desires are aligned with his desires. I know somebody in this room, somebody, had to. The statistic's too high not to be true. Somebody in this room this week prayed this prayer. Lord God, if you just let me win this $1.4 billion, I'll, I'll give all kind of money to the church. I'll do this. I'll help the poor folk. And you start arguing or bartering with God the stuff that you'll do. And you didn't win. You know why? It wasn't God's will that you win. Let me strip that down a little bit further. Because your desire ain't right. Let me read this verse to you. James 4.3 You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasure. Whatever that is you're asking for, more often than not, we ask for the sake of our own pleasure, not so that we might be able to bless someone else. And I'm not talking about just your money. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about your talent. I'm talking about whatever it is you've been placed, been placed in you or on you by God. We spend it on our own pleasure. And so God says, I can't trust you with $1.4 billion. I can't trust you with a pay raise. Because you haven't proved yourself faithful with the last pay raise you got. You spend it on your pleasure. How do I know? People go, no, no, it'll be different. I win this $1.4 billion. It's going to be different this time. But it's not. Because whether you got... One dollar or a billion dollars. It's not a money issue. It's a heart issue. Yep. So there's the reason why we don't provoke you to give here. We teach you the blessings of giving because you should have figured out what you were going to give here before you even walked in here. If you need me to motivate you to give, you got your head wrong. You got your heart wrong. Amen? Let us focus on His will. People say, but God says he'll give me the desires of my heart. Desires of my heart is fill in the blank, whatever that is. You know what that is. You know what that is. But you know what? That's only half the verse. And it's the last half. It's not even the good half. The verse reads like this, Psalms 37, 4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's an if-then statement. If you delight in the Lord, then he will give you the desires of your heart. You know why? Because if you truly delight in the Lord, your desires are his desires anyway. Pray in his will. Well, I still don't know what that looks like. I got, hold on a second. I got 1,059 pages of what God's will looks like. People, I don't know what God wants from me. His will is His Word. You want to know what God has for you? Read His Word. It frustrates me when I hear people say, well, I'm just going to pray whatever God's will is. That's ignorant and lazy. Yeah, I said that out loud. Because it's true. You've allowed yourself to be ignorant to the Word of God because you're too lazy to search out the Word of God for the promises He has for you. Now, there are times, let me free you from a little bit of that. 
there are times when I don't know the will of God. I knew it was the will of God that we come to Lebanon. I knew it was the will of God that we plant a church, but I had no idea where God would have us plant a church. And so we pray, God, wherever your will is in regard to this promise that you've made us, show us what that looks like. Because there are small things that are great we don't know. That's why we pray for wisdom and revelation, so that we might know. But this, read your Bible. It's not something pastors say because we're bored and got nothing else to say. Any pastor worth his salt, worth listening to, will tell you that the only thing I should be doing is confirming in you what you figured out through the Word anyway. Amen? That's why I'm comfortable saying challenge me. Read. Study what I'm telling you. If you find out it's false or you think it's false, come talk to me. We'll talk about it. If I'm wrong, I'll make a public apology right here and fix my theology in front of everybody to see it. Because this is more important than me being right or you being right. We have to pray in God's will. So when I pray in Jesus and I belong to His family, in His name, He will do it according to His will. You think God's a liar? The Bible specifically says God's not a liar. If He's made you a promise, He'll sustain it. He'll hold it. Now, you may not have it right now, but you can have it, which leads me to my third point. We have to pray in faith. He says this in the same text that I read you. Glad I kept a bookmark on it. It says, and I had you, or I didn't have you repeat it out loud. If you ask me anything in my name, what are the next four words? I will do it. Do you have faith for the I will do it? Do you have enough faith to say, I don't see it right now, but God's not a liar, and I belong to him, and I'm part of his house, and he loves me, and he sent his son Jesus to die for me so that I might be with him. I have faith that even though I don't see it right now, at some point I will hold whatever that hope is in my hand whether it be something here on earth or in eternity. Isn't that good? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. You know why? Because love is the only thing that's not at some point in your future going to disappear. Faith, at some point, you're not going to need it. Because the thing you've been waiting to grab a hold of, you'll have. Hope, one day when you're in eternity with God and Christ Jesus for all of eternity, you won't need the hope that you possess. But you will be forever in the presence of the love of God. Isn't that good? But we have to do it in faith, knowing that he's not a liar. The God that you serve has never lied to you. He's never forsaken you. He's never left you on the side of the road wanting or hungry. And I praise God for that. That I can pray. And when I do all of these things, pray as a member of the family of God, in the name of God, using the authority of God, by the word of God and the will of God, in faith that I'll receive it. 1 John 5.14 says, Anything I ask within God's will, He hears me. And because He hears me, 
I have what I ask for. I told you that I started this sermon with, I'm going to give you three ways you can know that God will answer your prayer. That when you say, God, where are you? And is that you talking to me? If you belong to God, in Jesus, by his authority, according to his will, and in faith, the answer to that question will be so obvious to you. I'm right here. I have heard you, and I love you enough to answer you. Amen? That's my prayer is that we grab a hold of that. Let's pray.